Hello everybody and welcome to episode 6 of Malarkey with Mark. This is a really special episode as I get to interview Kritika Sethi, uh, one of the two people that I know that are running for South Carolina High School Dems or Democrats, chair and vice chair. So it's Kritika Sethi running for chair and Ellie Joy for vice chair and they're fantastic candidates. I've been tracking their campaign uh, because I know Kritika from a speech and debate and youth in government and I knew off the bat that she's definitely someone that would be great for the position of chair of high school Democrats. And keep in mind, I'm not a Democrat <laughs> per se, but I can find some common ground with people like Kritika. She's a great leader uh, within speech and debate and youth and government and is a public opinion leader. If you ask me, she's really informed on things and the same goes for Ellie. I actually had the opportunity to sit down with Kritika and do an interview. And so I've selected the best parts of it uh, without making this episode too long, uh, if I have a positive feedback to this, I can, you know, post the rest of the interview, but overall it was really great. They have an awesome platform and this is going to be a super fun episode. So stay tuned. I'm going to skip the statistic of the day. Uh, if you don't like that, I'll be sure to have one next time. But there's a lot of ground we have to cover. I also really quickly want to apologize because the background noise in this audio is like terrible. And I used a noise reduction software. I did everything that I could, but some parts are still pretty bad. So I'm sorry about that, but it's an awesome interview and it's a lot of fun. So with no further ado, we're going to go ahead and get right into the malarkey. So for this first segment, Kritika and I are discussing Kritika and Ellie's platform as they're running for South Carolina High School Democrats. So it's about 20 minutes uh, for this segment, but it's really good. And we actually jump around between issues. We talk about youth activism and campaigns that Kritika has worked on in Greenville. And then we talk a bit about climate change and overall why it's important that young people's voices are heard. So part of your platform as you're running is it's action action right that's it. so right now i think some way. of the problems with like high school democrats in south carolina is one that we don't have like a legitimate platform so people who genuinely want to get involved can't but i also think that we need to have action on a level where people who really aren't that informed but really want to be can mm-hmm. actually see high school democrats as a way to get there right because right now i have friends who i've like aggressively dragged to meetings and they were like wow I was overwhelmed that's a lot like I felt stupid I don't want to come back and like me and Ellie's goal is to make sure that it's accessible to a point that Mm -hmm. we can like start conversations and we're okay with people saying like hey I don't know what the ERA is tell me about it without like judging them for it because there has to be like a starting point for it and I think that once we get to that level then we're going to be able to create like a lot of like the internships we can provide with like local city council members yeah. or like even on a state level like Kim Nelson's running for Congress Jamie Harrison's super important really backing them I applied for an internship on the Harrison campaign awesome. recently Good so luck. fingers crossed yeah. but a lot of that stuff is something that has to come after and I think that another part of our action platform is creating just like social meet and greets where we can just start conversation mm-hmm. like I don't think you have to be radically left to come to a high school devs meeting yeah. I don't even think you have to completely affiliate as a democrat right. like I think if you just want to learn more I think you should be able to feel free to mm-hmm. do that because what's like really sad to me is that like the Republican Party in Greenville is kind of just like in shambles like I think you can yeah. say this regardless of yeah. where you stand there's no like legitimate structure there and isn't. it's 
So having the Republican Party be in shambles here proves that there's like no way to facilitate like a high school Republicans. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to start up conversations with both sides mm -hmm. because if we can't do it at like our level as 16 and 17 year olds, right. how can we expect like policymakers exactly. who are like forced to be on party lines and try to get donor support, yeah. try to keep their campaigns going to do it. Like, I think our generation has to set the precedent to get rid of the major polarization that 2016 mm -hmm. created. And I think, like, high school Democrat or high school Republican meetings, if they, like, ever come to exist, are going to be, like, a good way to facilitate that. So as for, like, the action level, we want to create, like, fundraisers that are more, like, neutral. Like, for mm -hmm. example, we want to support the immigrant justice uh, campaign. Okay. So what it does is it provides, like, legal counsel mm. for, like, a lot of immigrants at the border because, as we know, like we just talked about, our criminal justice system kind of sucks. And yeah. that applies to, like, immigration, too, because mm -hmm. a lot of these immigrants, like, can't actually afford to get anything mm -hmm. to seek asylum right. because our country just like denies them asylum because a lot of them can't speak English mm -hmm. and even if they can't speak English can't afford an attorney who can actually represent them to prove that their case was like important enough because I don't think like on an immigration level I don't think that anyone is going to walk hundreds of miles with their kids and all of their belongings unless there was an actual problem where they lived that's like, a good point I think that asylum is something that the United States needs to rethink as like part of our policy platforms and that even though the Obama era wasn't that great as for immigration reform because like these camps at the border aren't a Trump only thing and yeah. I hate that I hate yeah. that about our party yeah. I hate that about the republic I hate that in general yeah. <laughs> and that just needs to like completely stop for right. me right. but this cap this like campaign what it does is it makes sure that like or it tries to because obviously like limited resources but it makes sure that like these immigrants as many as possible can afford some type of legal counsel mm -hmm. so they're not just being forced to be like sent back on basically no grounds with no actual trial or just taking like terrible plea bargains yeah. that happen even in the immigrant justice system so we want to try to like fundraise for that type of stuff mm -hmm. to try to be a segue to create like more action on a more politicized level mm -hmm. because i think that's something that like Regardless of how educated you are, you can learn so quickly and become passionate about it to a point that you're going to want to advocate for this. You're going to want to try to fundraise for this. So that's like the action part of like yeah. some of the major parts that we want to do. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. And I think there's a lot of, this is kind of an offshoot of that, but there's a lot of stigma about asylum seekers and refugees mm -hmm. that is funded by or, you know, created by political rhetoric. Yeah. that I volunteer with the Open Arms Refugee Ministry and have, like, met refugees from the Middle East. Yeah. And, like, they're incredibly demonized and antagonized oh, in our yeah. media, whereas they're just people that have faced tremendous adversity yeah. and real issues in their native country and then had to come here seeking asylum. And it's definitely something that people should be more aware of, but then also there should be action with it. Yeah, I think that we have to start on, like, a high school Democrats level with recognizing the problems and being able to have a conversation about it mm -hmm. before we can actually create like substantive action. Mm -hmm. And again, it's the platform of like, it combines with our platform of expansion yeah. and trying to reach out to like Charleston and like mm -hmm. Fort Mill and like Florence County and all of the places where like a lot of Democrats are scared to admit that they're Democrats. Right. Like I know even for myself, like coming from a, like both of my parents are relatively conservative on fiscal issues. Yeah. They like very, very libertarian on social issues, <laughs> but on fiscal issues, they think that like our government shouldn't be in control of like healthcare, for example, or like public education. And while me and my dad go back and forth about that on every single car ride and <laughs> drive my brother crazy, I think that it's like super important for people like that to be able to like 
not only like be able to try to convince their parents to try to let them go to one of these meetings, mm -hmm. but even if they have to like find a way to like come to these meetings and then talk to their parents about it, yeah. we need to make sure we're doing it at like accessible places like mm -hmm. coffee shops and like places where they don't have to completely tell their parents. And I'm right. not encouraging lying, yeah. but if you're trying to like get informed, sometimes you have to cut some corners. Of course, yeah. I agree with that. So expansion, so Greenville already, you know, Greenville City is yeah. a majority Democrat area, yeah. but then Greenville County obviously is not. So are you talking expansion to Greenville County or Green or beyond Greenville? Oh yeah, definitely beyond Greenville. Because okay. right now I'm vice chair for Greenville High School Democrats, okay. and we've been working on a lot of expansion, trying to reach out to like people in Greenville County schools and just making them feel like they're like welcome here. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people are just like, wow, like they're talking to like local representative, like that's crazy. I could never yeah. do that. I'd yeah. be intimidated. And again, we just want to make it seem like accessible. Mm -hmm. And if we can create more chapters across like the state, even if it's just at schools for like right. 15 minute meetings to talk about what's going on in the news, to be able to like see that, hey, this is a problem. Maybe we can find some way to address this. Mm -hmm. That's really our goal with expansion. Because yeah. while South Carolina is red, I think that we should be able to turn it blue if we keep yeah. working. Because I think one of our one of the party leadership in Greenville, his name's Paul. He always tells us whenever we go canvassing that like in South I'm not sure if this is true, but this man's really motivational. Okay. But he always tells us that in South Carolina there's more registered Democrats than there are registered Republicans. Really? Don't know if I buy it. Yeah. But still, yeah. I still know that like the majority of Democrats in South Carolina, regardless of their age, don't even go to vote because they mm. feel like their vote doesn't matter because we right. live in a red state. Right. And the same thing happens in like blue states where conservatives mm. think their vote doesn't matter. And I think that's something that we fundamentally like need to change about politics in general definitely. in our country. Definitely. And there is, it's important for people to know that there is some consideration to their vote, even if the state is overwhelmingly red. Yeah. 100%. The blue votes still matter yeah. because they're taken into account in polls and all kinds of things. Future campaigns look at those numbers and, try and to say, to them. could yeah. we be viable in the future? Yeah. And like in Texas, Beto O'Rourke's campaign never would have happened if the Democrats in Texas had not gone out and voted. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I think part of the reason why so many of our representatives, like Lindsey Graham, for example, mm -hmm. who I have a major beef with, <laughs> yeah, but I think one too. of the major reasons he can like abuse what like the constituency wants so much is because Democrats haven't been showing up right. and haven't been proving like that we are here mm. and our voices do matter yeah. and that's also fundamentally what we want to do like my goal as like a hopeful future chair mm. is to empower all the people of high school Democrats in South Carolina yeah. to be able to use their voice however they need fit Awesome. I don't want to make it, like, a scary political thing. I want everyone to know that, like, if you're 18 and you can vote, incredible. But even if you're not, you can still create change. Like, phone banking and canvassing for candidates does so much. And it's probably one of the most empowering feelings I've ever had. Knowing really? that, like, I'm going to be able to create, like, change someone's mind about voting. Yeah. Or even just make sure they come out to the polls because they support the values of the person running. Mm -hmm. And even if you lose, it's still a good feeling knowing that like you can cut down the margin in South Carolina yeah. and set a precedent for future campaigns. Yeah. Because for so many years, when Tina Belgi ran for state senate, mm -hmm. that's that like seat went unopposed for so many years. Like Democrats in South Carolina aren't even running. Right. Which is right. so upsetting because again, it's the whole thing. Their voices are just being stepped on by mm -hmm. representatives and senators and it seems that like we don't matter. Like we're a completely red state. And that's yeah. just not true. It isn't. You're right. So that's that's a really interesting point about expansion. So 
asked her of high school Democrats, what could you do for unity, the third part of your class? Right. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that, like, there's communication between all of the chapters. Because okay. right now we have a chapter in, I think it's James Island. Okay. But there's not a lot of communication with the Greenville chapter. Right. And really the Greenville chapter is the one that's dominating anything else. Mm -hmm. But if we want to create unity, we want to set up, like, weekly or even monthly if we have to, like, calls for all of the chapter leaders or even sometimes just like members as a whole yeah. so they can talk about like what we can learn from each and every other chapter mm -hmm. we also want to have like a state convention where mm -hmm. everyone can come and cool. meet yeah probably in Colombia, hopefully yeah. over yeah. maybe over the summer just for like ease of access with mm -hmm. like school and like every all the extracurriculars everyone has yeah. but where we have like a lot of state representatives speak because there's like state senators in South Carolina right now that are Democrats and right. while they're a minority like they still matter yeah. and if them talking to people who feel like their voices aren't heard can create so much change mm -hmm. like before I got involved with high school Democrats I was like yeah it's really terrible that like what's going on in our country is happening yeah. but I'm 16 like what can I do right, right and I think that if we have a state convention where we not only like talk about these ideas but talk mm -hmm. about people talk to people who can make an influence in like the Columbia State House or even in DC that yeah. we're going to be able to empower our members to be able to create real change. Totally. Something that like I don't think goes away when you like quit high school Democrats or like you have to go to college. Right. I think it's something that like changes you for a lifetime regardless of if your political views change. Yeah. Knowing that your voice matters is one of the fundamental things that we want to change about Absolutely. South Carolina high school Democrats. That's really cool and I think it's it's great that you have that focus for high school Democrats specifically because there are programs like Youth in Government, like yeah. Speech and Debate that reinforce that young people's voices matter and I in the last few episodes of my podcast I try to end it off with like a reminder about that that like everyone's voice matters but then also particularly like high school Democrats in South Carolina their voices matter oh, yeah. and having two parties and two different perspectives on an issue is essential because if we just allow the GOP to take whatever stance they want on any issue and be practically unopposed in most elections about it then there isn't a dialogue about those issues, and there has 100%. to be a dialogue. The dialogue is so critical to moving, yeah. like democracy, right. regardless of which party's in power. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's so important. Yeah. And, like, I want high school Dems to be the facilitator of, like, right. being involved in the political process for the rest of your life. Yeah. Our, our system wasn't created to be divided along party lines. Yeah. It was created to make a dialogue yeah. and bring issues to the front and create compromise between the two parties. And... Republicans and Democrats haven't even existed for our entire oh, democracy. Yeah. It's, you know, we had Federalists and Anti-Federalists. It's changed a ton. We get it, Mark. You took yeah. a push. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It's it's definitely something that high school Democrats could change. And I think it's yeah. really great that you're taking that initiative. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I really just, I'm just so thankful for, like, speech and debate and the way it's mm -hmm. empowered me, but also for high school Democrats because it gave me an outlet to use this Right. And, like, while I think programs like Speech and Debate and YIG are important, I think so many people in both of those programs feel like, yes, they're able to speak now, but they, they're so apathetic again. It's the whole right. idea. Because they think, like, I'm not an adult. Politics don't affect me. Yeah. But, like, we're the ones who are going to be trying to pay for, like, our college tuition yeah. 20 years from now. Probably still going to be in debt. <laughs> yeah. Very, very likely. And it's just, like, art, like, the climate crisis, for example. Mm -hmm. I admire Greta Thunberg so, so much yeah. with starting, like, all, like, 
the social movement that she started. Yeah. And I admire all the people who have, like, t- gone on strikes in Greenville mm-hmm. and, like, created this change. Because ultimately, like, yes, it sucks for, like, older generations that we're having more and more pollution. Yeah. But, like, if our, like, if our world gets to a point where there's irreversible damages mm-hmm. in, like, 12 years, right. that's right. something that, like, affects us so yeah. much more. Yeah. And it's so important that our voices are heard, mm-hmm. especially on, like, a national scale. Yeah. Like, right now, so many people who are, like, 50, 60 and above vote more than young people because again it's the whole idea with education reform people just don't know until they get that old and they don't realize that like everything about the political process affects everything we do yeah it's so important like the taxes you pay mm-hmm. on like sales on your income that's all determined by politicians yeah and it's all stuff that if there's enough of a coalition behind it we can change right you're absolutely right particularly about climate change is like you said in the next 12 years we could be facing irreversible damage to our climate and that has huge not just environmental impacts but economic impacts and social impacts and it changes everything there are 800 million people worldwide that are already susceptible to damage from climate change yeah I mean my aunt I went back to India and this is kind of like a sob story so I might be a little bit oversharing (laughs) but my aunt she actually like has like asthma and this is something that she's had before but because she lives in Delhi where air pollution is like so so terrible like it gets worse every time I go back and it makes Mm. me so sad because like as an Indian hate to be like super patriotic (laughs) but I really like going to Delhi it's like one of the coolest cities in India it's very urbanized and it's so awesome that like we're progressing as a nation yeah but I think that like her like health issues have been exacerbated so much by the pollution in that area that when we went out to like the mall to go like get dinner with her because we were visiting she like had to sit down every couple of minutes because she just couldn't like breathe and keep up in that air because the air quality was so bad and for me like going back like it was hard to it was hard to be in that situation for a lot of time but if you live there that's something that like completely worse and I think the United States especially and like developed nations as a whole need to set like a global precedent for a mm-hmm. shift towards renewable energy because right. ultimately like that's not a burden that developing nations can take on right now yeah. it's not fair to expect them to especially if like renewable energy isn't developed to a point that they can use it like they're just trying to industrialize and make sure that their economies are functioning yeah. it's our goal as developed nations to make the shift so that they can follow in our footsteps yeah you're absolutely right and the idea that the GOP reinforces, and I, I've just been trashing the GOP the whole time today, but <laughs> I, they argue that like we have to keep using these fossil fuels that we've yeah. used for so long, and then the Trump administration has bailed out billions of dollars in oh, the fossil yeah. fuel industry, and like that's what Trump ran on. That's the reason he won, oh, yeah. is states like in the Rust Belt, where manufacturing and fossil fuels are the backbone of their economy, it was purely political. Oh, 100%. And we spend way more money you know, bailing out the fossil fuel industry than what it would take to establish renewable energy in our country. I read a number that it would only take, I don't remember the number, it was only a few billion dollars to establish all the renewable energy that we need. Because of like the LD case I did, it's like 10 to 30% of the amount we spend on fossil fuel subsidies. If we shifted up that over to renewable energy, renewable energy becomes like viable. And that's like 30% that we're spending at most. And that's so crazy to me that like, Policies like this, like, not even, like, haven't happened yet, but aren't even being considered in Congress right, right now. It's crazy. And it, it, it makes me think that bills like the Green New Deal really aren't that radical. Yeah, Because I agree. They're, they're looking at the climate crisis as a crisis, which we should be. 100%. And the idea that we can change the way that we get energy 
And renewable energy, we're treating it, with the Green New Deal at least, and ideas like that, we're treating it as a possible solution, not as something way far in the future yeah, and I that we can do with I completely think that, like, we're not going to be able to make the shift immediately. Right. Like, that's just not feasible, like, economically. And in a perfect world, yes, right now, we could shift to renewables and it'd be perfect. But I think it needs to be, like, in combination of both, mm-hmm. like, fossil fuels sure. as we, sure, as we like, phase those out and shift mm-hmm. over to renewables. But I think, like, until our government decides to start that phase out, we're never going to be able to actually make progress. Yeah, that's a good point, because, like, we can't just jump straight into renewable yeah. energy. We have to phase it in, but we have to start. Yeah. Because it, we've only got 12 years. Yeah. And the sooner we start, the easier it'll be. 100%. Yeah. And I think that, like, if the United States starts, that countries in the EU are much more likely mm-hmm. to try to, like, research as well, to try to right. gain control of, like, the global market, That's or try thing. to set their global precedent. Yeah. But I think that someone, somewhere needs to start, mm-hmm. which is why I so much admire Greta, and I think that anyone who says that, like, she's 16, we shouldn't listen to her, hasn't ever heard her speak, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and realize that, like, what she's saying isn't something that impacts just, like, her, but yeah. impacts our generation, mm-hmm. and even the generation, like, older than us, right. for the rest of our lives. Right. Like, we've already seen the negative effects, I don't know why we haven't started to create change. And... You're right that as the U.S., as like a global leader, we should be leading the initiative to fight climate change, whereas Donald Trump, as of November 1st, started officially removing us from the Paris Climate Accords. It's that infuriated me yeah. on so many It's levels. a huge step backward. It's yeah. the opposite of what we need to be doing. We need to be setting precedent for taking action against climate 100%. change, not going backwards. It's just, it's so problematic that like, it's become so polarized because I think that like at this point the climate crisis is facts like mm-hmm. if you deny climate change that's not a political issue right. again you need to be educated like yeah. there's a problem going on like there's so many problems associated with like a degrading environment like mm-hmm. it's going to hurt our infrastructure yeah. it's going to hurt jobs and like the fossil fuel industry is already losing jobs mm-hmm. like renewable energy is obviously going to provide more because it's developing yeah. versus like an industry that's shrinking and right. it's going to run out eventually mm-hmm. like we can't account for that unless we start the shift now mm-hmm. and it's so important that like people who are our age realize that like again our voices matter yeah. like we have to totally. be the ones who like contact legislators to try to fight for the change that Donald Trump is trying to push against Mm-hmm. And setting a global precedent is something that has to happen as soon as possible. Absolutely. It's so upsetting to me that we haven't done anything and that we keep progressing further and further back yeah. when the climate crisis keeps getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And our generation, as the one that has skin in the game, yeah. you know, the people that are going to be affected most directly by this, we have to start acting now. Yeah. And that's something that the high school Democrats and other organizations can really influence. Yeah. So, like, at my school, I started this club called Students for Change, mm-hmm. and it's a nonpartisan club because yeah. I'm very, like, liberal and I'm, like, pretty strongly Democrat on the majority of issues. Still have some things where I can shift a little right. Yeah. But what we're doing this year is the charity we chose is the Amazon Rainforest Conservation Association. Okay. And we're raising money for it throughout, like, multiple ways like we've had trivia nights movie nights a bunch of like normal stuff but like part of the reason that it's so important to me is not just because we're going to be able to raise money for it Mm -hmm. but because by funding this charity we're like teaching people that like hey the Amazon rainforest like almost burned down this year like we need to do something to stop it and the way that we picked it is like my whole group took like a vote on which one they wanted to fund so like 76 kids and like the overwhelming majority picked this one and that was just so important to me and it means that like 
people are actually becoming aware that like, mm -hmm. hey, this isn't something we can ignore. Right. This isn't something that we can say that's the next generation's problem because it's not. It's not. It's something that we need to start working towards. And again, yeah. it's something that like I think high school Democrats need to start. And I think that it's super important for us to be able to know that like we can write legislation and send it to like yeah. representatives. Yeah. I'm not saying they're going to use it, right. especially like <laughs> people like Lindsey Graham, who right. we love oh so much. <laughs> but I think it's so important to show that like, hey. Your constituency is angry, and your constituency is not going to shut up and not going to let you, like, step on our rights. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so important to show that, like, if you don't start creating change, we're going to put you out of office right. and vote in someone who will. Right. Which is why I'm so fundamentally behind, like, the majority of the people running right now in the primaries yeah. climate change policies. Yeah. And as much as, like, Jay Inslee's campaign was, like, <laughs> a little bit of a joke, but... I think some of his climate policies that were seen as like crazy radical mm -hmm. are like so important. Yeah. If we can't discuss them and just like write them off as radical, we're never going to be able to create even small change. Definitely. So in this next segment, Kritika and I talk briefly about the 2020 candidates and then what it means to be a progressive and how Kritika and I kind of disagree on issues like Medicare for All. We had a great discussion about that. And then we talk pretty briefly about immigration as well, and DACA, and how the president really can't do anything apart from either an executive order or signing statements on a bill that Congress has just passed. So it's a great discussion, and I think y'all will enjoy this segment. Obviously, Trump is Trump, but all the Democratic <laughs> candidates are just, I don't feel good about any of them. Really? Like, I, I don't, my issue with Bernie and Warren, they're the strongest candidates, but they're too far left. Even I if don't you... like that view. I think okay. that, like, no, like... And that's okay. I think that, like, believing that they're way too progressive is just a way to, like, say that you want a more moderate person because you're scared of change. Like, I think that Warren has enough justification for her plans mm -hmm. that, like, I don't think she can put all 42 into practice, but I think it's definitely feasible for her to get mm -hmm. at least some of this stuff through. And I think she's a smart enough woman that she can do it. Yeah. And, like, with Bernie, sometimes it's a little wild. But, like, he's been fighting for this. Like, at least he's reliable. Yeah, he Like, he's is. been fighting he for is. the same issues and for, I like, respect that so, so much. long. Yeah. Like, he, I don't think you can find an instance where he flip-flopped as majorly right, as, like, right. Biden did. So many people flip-flop. And I agree, and I respect how consistent they are, but I just consistently disagree with them. <laughs> like, Medicare for All, I will never ah, stand for. Ah, the fiscal for. issues. Yeah. It, it just... Medicare for all specifically in America, it just can't work. Like the projections, I know this is a Republican talking point, but it's going to cost like $38 trillion is the minimum estimate over 10 years. And that's so much money. Do you buy into the private option? Yeah, I, I think a public option like Medicare, Pete, Pete Buttigieg's plan is Medicare for all who want it. And having the option for a government subsidized health care, that could work. My, like, like, beef with that is just that, like, then we're obviously going to have, like, private health insurers giving us so much better quality of health care. Because there's, no, there's not going to be any government accountability. But, but what's the issue with that? If private, because that's the whole idea of, like, private insurance. Well, is that is really you, better than people just not having health care in general if they're not getting, like... Well, sure. I agree there's an issue that, like, 87 million Americans are yeah. uninsured. Like, that, we need to fix that. But... The fundamental debate of either having like exclusively Medicare for all or exclusively private health care, neither one is going to work. But I would, between, if I had to pick one, I would pick exclusively private health care. And really? I know that makes it inaccessible. Do you just to some buy into people, like the market competition? Yeah, I do. And I, I'm very laissez faire with that. Like FedEx versus US Postal Service. Like 
the way that when <laughs> FedEx was first... That's a very funny analogy yes, to me. Because it, for so long, it was just the postal service. They were literally delivering things on horses. Like, cars existed, but they were delivering it with horses, and it sucked. Wow. Okay. And this is a really old example. Yeah, But then sure. FedEx was created. And they started, like, literally driving around Model T is okay, but, like, having competition allows for better quality. And I think a lot of the issues with Medicare for All would be, even though everyone has it, it wouldn't work for them. It wouldn't do what they needed it to do. I think I, like, understand, like, the concern about that, especially looking at, like, Canada's healthcare system, like, the terribly long wait times for, like, emergencies. Like, that's, like scary to me yeah, and I like yeah. like if I had an emergency I wouldn't want that and then you still have in Canada people who have money who can still bypass that right, right. so it's not like a solution mm. but I don't think like I think the United States should do a transition mm. like again like slow phase out because I think that if we have like Medicare for all and the private option like people who have to be on like government benefits are still going to be suffering at the same rate like and they're also going to be having to pay for like government insurance through like mm. even if it's indirect through taxes so i don't think that like solves any of the fundamental issues of why so many americans are uninsured right now because even if they have to rely on the government if their health care isn't doing anything for them and we still have to subsidize it then like what's the point yeah so you mentioned with having like a private option but also like beginning to expand on medicare for all there wouldn't be government accountability on that yeah how would that be different than, like, if we only had Medicare for all? How is there any government accountability? Well, I think that it's, like, everyone would be, like, fighting for, like, governmental accountability. Because, honestly, like, people who are of lower income can usually don't get to fight for, like, the societal benefits that they need. Like, I think I read a statistic that only one in four people who qualify for, like, housing assistance get it. Really? And that, like, that's the type of stuff that's, like, scary to me right. about having only, like, partial, like, partial systems halfway. That's true. Because if we have partial systems, then, like, the poor just get stepped on and, like, the rich still benefit through their private options and nothing yeah. ever changes. So I think if we move towards Medicare for all, like, rich people are, have to hold the government accountable just as much as, like, poor people do. And that tries to solve the issue, at least. But really, I think it's no, like, perfect solution either yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And I would tend to agree that, like, we have to start moving towards something like Medicare for All, but we can't, I don't think we're prepared for it now, and I, I think it's something we have to phase into, like you said. Okay. That's fair. I buy it for that. I don't know. I need to do more research on, like, Me too. the economic, I, like, I don't know enough to have, like, as strong of a yeah. stance as I do. Yeah. I, I don't know. The issue with the single-payer system, meaning everyone is paying for Medicare for All, but not everyone would use it. I mean, I read somewhere that, like, 30 or 40 million Americans of the 87 million that are uninsured don't want to be insured. Like, they don't really? think they need it. Well, that's like the young people who are like, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm healthy, why would I pay money? And eventually they'll need it, and sure, then that, okay. But they don't, I'm sure those people, if you ask them, like, they wouldn't want to be paying a ton of money for other people's health care. See, for me, that's, like, the same idea with, like, public education. Like, mm -hmm. some people may say that, like, they're not going to benefit from it. But, like, the thing with, like, health care is you never know when you're going to, like, get right. to a car crash. Right. Like, you could be young and healthy yeah. and still, like, have to get your broken bike fixed or, like, have to do that. And I think that, like, partially, like, corporations need to provide better health care, like, in the status quo if we're yeah. not going to shift towards, like, right. a Medicare for all. Like, I think, like, regardless of where you stand, people, like, companies that provide health care don't do it unless you're, like, have an incredible job, which is, like, rare. For, like, at least for, like, benefits. They don't do it to an extent that it's, like, feasible. 
Because I know that we're lucky enough to have, like, health insurance from both of my parents, so we're, like, fine. And I know that, like, Bernie's campaign, the health insurance for their workers is incredible. Mm -hmm. But I also know that big corporations like ExxonMobil do whatever it takes to provide their, like, their employees as little benefits as possible yeah. to try to save money. And that a lot of it is corporate greed and that's yeah. the issue with the private system. Yeah. Is but then also I don't know. People like Bernie that advocate for Medicare for all, that also means that the over 150 million Americans that have private insurance that like it they would have to lose that. See, I think that, like, if we can create a system, and I know this is so utopian and mm-hmm. optimistic yeah. and doesn't account for, like, all the, like, intricacies of the healthcare system, but I think if we create a healthcare system that, like, works mm-hmm. and is, like, effective enough that everyone could shift and be happy, and we're not struggling with can- the cannabis healthcare system, I think a lot of those people would change their lives. Yeah, I think so. And I, that's why I'm willing to, like, experiment with things like I I would have completely disagreed with Pete Buttigieg and his public option thing but I think it's worth a shot like I think the the status quo is not maintainable I think I just respect like anyone who's like realizes that there's so many problems that we need to try something right right. not like it's there's no promise that any policies are going to sure ever like I like you can provide like studies and projections but that's still not the same it's not the same yeah so I think that, like, we just need to start trying things. Yeah. And what, like, sucks about, like, the way our government functions, which is, again, with, like, the is good luck good or bad, like, conversation, is that, like, most presidents in their first term can accomplish, like, one major piece of legislation. Right, right. So, like, like all of these candidates may talk about, like, we're going to fix the climate crisis and healthcare and college yeah. and immigration and the criminal justice system, but really, like... What's going to happen? Like, can, Obama got, like, Obamacare. Obamacare and, was, and the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. That yeah, was, like, all that, was that he got done. And the thing is, he had congressional cooperation with that. Yeah. And that is absolutely necessary because people like Elizabeth Warren can have 42 plans, but all, or however many she yeah. has. That's just enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, Probably expanded a lot more yeah. since the last time I checked, but... But it matters so much. Like, she can't do anything unless it's through an executive order on an existing law or, like, a new bill that's passed. And that takes so much with our good I also don't even buy into, like, executive orders. Like, no. I don't think, like, presidents who use exclusively or, like, even majority executive orders are doing anything. Because, right. like, if a Republican president comes... Like, Donald Trump has repealed the majority of yeah. President Obama's right. like, executive orders. So, like, what did we do? Yeah. Nothing. Right, right. Which is so upsetting. But, like, yeah. if you can't create policy that can fight, like, a change in, like, party leadership in the country, then, like, you're probably not doing it right in the first place. Yeah. And there's so many, like, informal powers of the president that it makes, like, executive orders... People like my dad, this very right wing, would argue that that shouldn't exist in the first place. Executive orders? Right. Really? Yeah. But... <laughs> That's all, all that means is the president's choosing how the bureaucracies will enforce the law. Because right. the executive is purely enforcing the law. And but then there's a lot of wiggle room within that. As yeah. to, like Trump's everything with DACA and all that he's yeah. doing is purely based on executive orders. And I and, hate like, that like DACA yeah. repealing DACA is like one of the worst things to do. Right. Like again, like as an immigrant, if it took my well off parents who have been working in this country and like contributing like what I think is, like, a significant amount to our society, and it took us, like, 10 years to get it, and my mom needed more because of, like, small errors, and we're, like, 
well educated. They're like well educated, like relatively wealthy. Yeah. And, like, how is it ever going to be possible for like dreamers who like had no choice in being brought to this country, right. probably because of asylum seekers that their parents couldn't fulfill yeah. like the requirements for? How is it like their fault? And why sh- why are they being held accountable right. for it? I think that's just so like fundamentally wrong yeah. with the way that our government like. Even like portrays immigrants. Like, mm-hmm. I hate the whole, like, they're stealing our jobs, like, they're raping our women. Like, no. If an immigrant who can barely speak Spanish, like, English, can steal your job, then you better figure your own life right, out. Right. Like, yeah. I just, I hate it. So, in this next segment, Critica and I uh, had been talking about mental health, and I didn't include the entire conversation because it was a little bit all over the place. But to summarize, we had been talking about really important statistics relating to mental health and the fact that mental health is becoming sort of an epidemic in South Carolina in particular, but also just the U.S. in general. And one in four adults, and that's also true for high schoolers, have experienced diagnosed depression or anxiety, and how those numbers only increase every year, particularly in high school. So that's what we talk about, and then this little segment from our our discussion about that is talking about how our words influence the stigma around mental health. On the whole, like, mental health thing, I was thinking about this, but I didn't want to cut you off. My friend Laura wrote an OO about, you know Laura, I said my friend, our friend Laura, but she wrote an OO about how, like, because we say things like, I'm going to kill myself, or I have anxiety, or I'm stressed, like, people don't take it really seriously when, like, people actually mean it. Right. And I thought that was, like, so, like, the way she wrote it was really, like, impactful to me, because yeah. I think that's so real. Like, I, I know I do it. I'll be like, I have anxiety about this, but, like, I, I don't have anxiety. Right. I'm nervous. Like, I'm super nervous. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But that's not the same as, like, a diagnosed medical issue. Right. And I think it's so, like, important that we fundamentally change, like, the way we talk about mental yeah. illnesses. Because, like, no one's going to be like, haha, I have cancer when you're sick, you know right, what I mean? Right, And that's, like, we, so, like, that's such a weird thought experiment, because you're like, yeah, of course not, but it's, like, the same idea. Yeah, it is. That's really interesting. All right, now, in this next segment, Kritika and I are talking about media and the bias within the media, but then also how that affects social media and what people see of the news that shapes their perceptions And then finally, we talk and kind of shift and talk about term limits in Congress. So this is a really fun section. Everything we read now has so much bias. Yeah. And it's so, like, it just doesn't fix anything. Mm -hmm. That's my issue is with, like, media bias. It takes me so long to get to, like, the bottom of a story. Because I can't just read, like, MSNBC. Yeah. I can't just read Fox News. I can't just read CNN. I read, like, everything. Oh, yeah. You have to read, like, NPR. And then, and then like, yeah. And that's just so hard. And, like, mm-hmm. without, like, speech and debate to, like, almost force me to do all that right, stuff. Like, right. I have learned so much in extent. Yeah. But, like, not too. everyone has that, like, right. opportunity or, like, the time for that. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. Like, if you want to play volleyball in high school, you probably can't do debate. And that's no. fine. But I think that our media, like, creates so many more issues than good things right now that, like, I don't know. And then the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is, like, so many people, like, on Facebook, I know this is a usual example for this, but people see a story with a catchy headline and they're like, oh my gosh, and they post it on their Facebook and they just accept it. Like, regardless, they don't look at what the bias could be and it's almost never what you would accept 
like just based on the headline. It's almost never oh, yeah, what the actual story is. People just don't like like that's the thing with like Instagram activism. Like the same people who pretend right. like they're advocating for like women's rights would never actually say that to like people who might disagree with them. Yeah. And that's what sucks. Yeah. Yeah. We need like real activism instead of just posting on social media. I think social media, like, I think hashtag activism can be a catalyst for real activism, but I don't think it's being, like, used to its full potential right now. Right, right. I think, here's an interesting idea. I think social media is such a powerful tool that it could, if there's any way this would happen, it would be through social media, that we could see a viable third-party option in the middle. I think really? if I don't I'm not saying that's gonna happen and I don't think it's likely I should. But like if a third party were to be viable in America, it would have to be through social media. It would people would have to be so fed up with, you know, Republicans and Democrats that they would say, Hey and it, it would take like a strong third party candidate. So not Gary Johnson. But um I don't know. Oh Johnson. It could happen. He in like twenty 15 I think his his campaign was just over when he somebody asked him about like Aleppo in Syria and he was like where is that oh, and it, no. that just shut him oh, down like it was yeah I don't know I have like conflicted opinions about third parties because like if third parties I I really buy into Maine's like preferential like ballot system where what they do is they have, like, you rank your choices, and then if your first choice doesn't, like, make it, like, doesn't have a clear majority, then they cut it out and take your second choice, if, like, if your first choice is gone, and then they reevaluate. And they keep doing that till there's a majority. And I think that's so important, because, like, voters who vote for third-party candidates who take away from, like, other can- like, Jill Stein, for example, like, she ran for the Green Party, and she took a lot of votes away from, like, the Clinton campaign. But I can promise you that the vast majority of those like voters would have chosen Hillary over Trump, which is yeah. why it feels like, like kind of stupid and a waste of your like political power to vote for a third can- party candidate in America. And I think like preferential ballot system can help solve for that. Definitely, that's a really interesting idea. And I wonder how it would work. I don't think the Constitution says anything about that, so like that could be a viable thing. Like it, yeah. they do it in May. Um, that's a really interesting idea because I all the like voting and school functions and like youth and government that I've done that has preferential ballots it works yeah. like it makes sense because it's not black and white like I know people that voted for Donald Trump for instance that almost voted for him but they but we're in South Carolina and they were like yeah whatever I'll just pick one and they went with that. And other people just didn't vote. Yeah. And I think third party, we would see a much better turnout, not turnout, but, you know, representation of the third party if there could be preferential. Yeah, ballots. I agree. And I think that, like, makes it feel for more people that it's viable. And if mm-hmm. you're, like, for me personally, I, until we at least fix the system, like, in the status quo, if I could vote, I wouldn't vote for a third party just because yeah. I feel like that'd be taken away. It's a waste of a vote. Yeah. It's, there's no, I would not, I don't think I'll ever vote third party in my life, even if I liked the candidate. Oh, yeah. It would be just taking away from whatever party I did want to vote for. And it's, that's the issue of 
having our two-party system so ingrained in our society is we weren't, our country, like our founders didn't intend on us having a two-party system, but it just happened that way. And the way that like in Congress, the majority party has so much power, like in forming committees, determining what committees there even are, and then picking who's in the committee. Like they have all the power. And that not to mention having a majority in passing laws. And then, like in the Senate, all they, they only have a majority of, like, it's 53 Republicans. And that's, like, not a huge majority. 45 Democrats and a couple independents. But, I don't know. It, that just enforces the gridlock that we have. And I hate, I'm, I trash on Mitch McConnell so much because he deserves it. Like, there's so many things that need to be done. And I'll say that. Yeah. And, like, the universal background check bill, for instance, like, I talked about this in the last episode, but it's, like, on the table, and they just aren't going to debate it. Oh, yeah, because, like, I I have, like, also conflicted opinions about, like, the filibuster. Right. And, like, how, like, I don't think it should be fair that any party, regardless of what you're trying to, like, get into law, should be able to just completely block a bill based on some, like, stupid Senate norm that was created, like, hundreds of years ago. And the idea of preventing debate on something it's so counter to like democracy democracy yeah like if it's an issue that you think would have that much to say about it it needs to be debated that's the kind of thing that needs to be debated i just it's so i think like the fundamental way that our congress works is ineffective yeah and i know that like partially it was meant to be that way right right but right now with all the problems we have it's it's not feasible yeah it's it's an interesting balance between, like, looking at the way that the framers set up the two branches, uh, you know, two houses within Congress. It's really interesting. Two chambers is what I was trying to say. Yeah. Because, like, the House has re-elections every two years. Yeah. So they're susceptible to, like, the public whim, you might say. Yeah, sure. Um, a push. And <laughs> then the Senate is, like, every six years. So it's not as, you know, focused on the current issues. It's an interesting... I, like, again, like, it's a weird balance between, like, do we want candidates constantly campaigning? Or, do like, do we want them acting exclusively on, like, what they think their constituency wants? Or, like, do we want them to be able to take some, like, power into their own hands? Mm -hmm. And I I have mixed feelings about that. What do you think about, like, congressional term limits? Ah, I, okay. So I think that, like, congressional term limits, like, in the Senate would be... Hmm. I've gone so back and forth on this. Yeah. I kind of, like, think it's okay the way we're doing it now, mm-hmm. because I think if we set, like, term limits for forever, it'd be so hard to get things done, because so, yeah. so many things are based on, like, precedent of right. how long right. we've been in the Senate, mm-hmm. and, like, while I think that that's, like, not completely fair, I think that there's enough, like, mobility, like, AOC, for example, she's mm-hmm. a freshman, fre- freshman representative, and she already, like, I'd argue that she's one of the most influential yeah. Congress members. Yeah, she's like, on Ways and Means. Yeah. Like, that's big. Yeah. She's incredible but i think that if we like made senators so susceptible to like swaying public opinion mm-hmm. we'd get even less stuff done because candidates who are focused on exclusively campaigning do things that they wouldn't like with the whole impeachment deal i think part of the reason that nancy pelosi is even like pursuing it because i think nancy pelosi is a very smart woman mm-hmm. but i think it's so she can keep like donor dollars coming for like down ballot yeah. votes in 2020 yeah because i think like all democrats know that like well i think democrats in congress know that like Nothing's gonna happen. Even if he gets like impeached yeah. in the house, he won't get he, convicted. He'll in the be Senate. acquitted in the Senate. Yeah, like, it's exactly. Not going so like, 
it just gives Trump more power to call Congress and do nothing Congress. Right. Which right. I think is like bad political strategy. Yeah. And I'm definitely like spitting out the words of my debate coach. But <laughs> I I like bought into this argument. Yeah. And so I just think that like appealing to like a base can create like problems with actually pursuing policy. Mm-hmm. Because if we're always scared, like for example, like AOC has so many progressive policies. Yeah. But, like, the majority of candidates won't support them because if they're on the record supporting them, they could it's, lose a lot of their right, voter base. it's too risky. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that, like, senators and representatives should be exclusively held to that. Yeah. But, again, don't know super a lot about, like, the repercussions right. of term limits, so I have to look into that to give, like, yeah. you, like, a succinct opinion. Yeah. What do you think? I generally agree. I, I would be against term limits. I'm all for, like, not having, you know, career politicians and all that. But it's almost sort of necessary yeah. having like institutions within the Senate. You know, like um, Bernie Sanders, I consider like an institution in the Senate. Like he has been there for a while. Okay, yeah. He's strong in his stances, and we need that. Yeah. We need vocal leaders on those issues. But then there are freshman senators and you know representatives that have new ideas. But then also, I don't know. It's there is an argument, like you said, for seniority in both yeah. chambers that that sets a lot of you know who gets to speak and what issues are brought to the forefront who gets put on committees and i think that's necessary because if you have new people every cycle like yeah you can't get stuff done because i think like it's the sad truth that like a lot of our representatives aren't very educated about like right. how the house works and i think that if we keep switching them out every like two years and like they can't be re-elected yeah. they're never going to like have enough power to do it because there's the whole incumbent mm-hmm. advantage right? right like i think that like even if they have to run again a representative who has served for 10 years is much more likely to push a progressive policy than mm-hmm. one who knows that they have a re-election that's campaign a good point. coming up yeah and like that's all they have yeah that's true if you have a track record of you know the voters think they can trust you then, then they'll you trust be... your policies right yeah. right that's a good point yeah, but also, I, like, could people who knew they didn't have a chance at re-election just because of term limits mm, push more progressive policy? Or Like, probably. Right. So it's like, a, like it's a hard thing mm. to, I don't know. But then on the other side of that, if, if, you know, more conservative people that are more radically against progressive ideas, yeah. if, they're, if they have a term limit coming up and they know they're not for re-election, they're going to be much more, you know, outspoken about it. Yeah. And that could counteract the more progressive people. Yeah. Well, I think, like, one thing that, like, makes me, like, really upset with the GOP is, mm. like, regarding both, impe- like, both, like, possible impeachments, like, with the Mueller investigation, the Ukraine investigation, like, yeah. so many Republicans have gone on record saying that it's just way too risky for their, like, political career oh, yeah. to go against saying, like, yeah. anything against Donald Trump, regardless of what they believe about the mm-hmm. constitutionality of his actions. Yeah. And I think that just, like, sucks. It like, does suck. I think that politicians should, like, realize that, like, that matters so much that they, like, actually stand up for mm-hmm. what they believe in. And I don't remember which senator. It may have been a senator or a Republican, but the guy who's just like, I'm quitting the Republican Party because they don't, like... Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't. There was this story about... Yeah. I I might look him up later and, like, send you a text. If you said it was Jeff Flake, I would believe you, but I don't think it Let's, was him. Wait. He's Let's such just, a fake Republican, and I hate it. It's just... But this man was like, yeah, the Republican Party is only pushing Trump ideals. And, like, mm. that's not the Republican Party that I signed up for. Right. So I'm just going to be an independent now. All 
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, especially if you made it this far. I know it was a long episode. There was a lot of material and there was also some background noise. So I really do apologize for that. I used my editing software to try it out to try to cut down on that noise as much as possible. So I did my best with that, but I know it was still kind of annoying. Uh, But thank you for listening this far, if you have. And I hope this interview has shown you how thoughtful of a candidate that Kritika is uh, as she's running for chair of South Carolina High School Dems. And the same goes for Ellie Joy, uh, who's running for vice chair of the high school Dems here in South Carolina. So even if you don't identify as a Democrat, I think you can still go to these high school Democrat meetings. And it's just a great way to open up a dialogue about issues that matter to everyone uh, in our generation. So that's all that we have here for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Malarkey with Mark, and I'll see you next Friday with some more Malarkey.